It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. So I'm in a mood to solve, help you face problems in society today. Actually, I'm in that mood a lot of days. We got a lot of things we got to take on. I've been railing against this problem since, I, I don't know, maybe throughout my entire broadcast career whether it was even in talk radio or not. We have a problem in this country, and the problem is obesity. We have a second problem, which has become a bigger part of the problem, which is this garbage around what's referred to as fat shaming. Okay, so they've rewritten the definition without attacking the problem. For years, I've had medical professionals and various researchers and more come on this show and other shows to talk about what the effects of obesity is on our society or are plural on our society, on the individual, on your organs, on your later years. Years ago in one study, there was a significant effort by universities, uh, medical medical uh, related training to re- to research or uh, to re to recruit doctors who would go into surgery for example organs that needed to be treated all kinds of areas that were affected by obesity and a growing obesity in this country the wokeness didn't help with the fat shaming the ceo of victoria's secret just retired And while they were touting the healthiness of Lizzo, why? Because if Lizzo has a heart attack at 40, it's likely that no one should be surprised that a fat, overweight woman or any fat, overweight man would pay a price for their own obesity. And no matter how you rewrite it or try to shame it, you don't change the reality. You can't change the biology. All right, that said, I've got that off my chest. Dr. Nicole, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, uh, radiologist, director of breast imaging at Memorial Sloan Kettering in Monmouth, New Jersey, my colleague at Fox News. I'm over this. I'm done with the, if you're a fat shaman, it's racist. Children are being put into this. It is a path to their own destruction, Nicole. You know, David, I wrote a piece of earlier this week about this uh, for foxnews.com, and the reason this is getting so much attention right now is because the American Academy of Pediatrics has updated their recommendations for childhood obesity for the first time in 15 years. And in those recommendations, it wasn't just eat healthier and increase your physical activity. They actually said at this point, the crisis has gotten so out of hand that they, you should consider medications and even surgery in kids to help combat the being overweight and obese because the the old mindset used to be, all right, if there's early enough intervention and we can teach them good nutritional habits and get them more, you know, exercise, then they'll go into adulthood being healthy. But it turns out that isn't the case for the majority of kids. And the overwhelming majority of kids who are overweight and obese in childhood remain overweight and obese throughout their adulthood. So this is an all-hands-on-deck crisis. And as you alluded in the introduction, listen, we knew obesity rates were going up. We have these devices. Kids are sitting around a lot more. There's a lot more sedentary lifestyles. 
But then you have the pandemic. They take away school. They take away all the activities. What do you think is going to happen? Of course, kids are going to get overweight. And that's what happened. There is an alarming increase rate of childhood obesity throughout the pandemic. But you touched on it. What else has happened in the last decade? The term fat shaming has been born, and all of a sudden, physicians, nutritionalists, and other people are concerned about being labeled someone who fat shames by bringing up weight and the consequences that come of it. It's not just talking about someone being fat or thin. That's not it at all. We're not talking about the physical looks of it all. What we're talking about are the consequences to one's physical and mental health from being overweight. And at this point, it is about $173 billion a year that it is costing the American health system to deal with the chronic conditions that come from being overweight. So now they're pushing surgery instead of behavior. And by the way, I I decided to do a little digging. And it was after reading your article and I reached out and I wanted to have you on to talk about this. And some of the practitioners, I won't put it on the entire association, but in the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics are part of the problem. I mean, we, we, we've got also a woke generation, to use the term, of medical professionals in this country who have, th- have gone into the idea that, you know, it, it was racism, this, it was related to other things, it was fat shaming. So, okay, great, they can issue their guidelines, but now they want to push you to surgery when the fact is before you get to the surgery, you've got to change the behavior at the young level. And I get your point that it's not about just the physical view, but let's face it, walking down the street, you can see who's fat and who's not. And while there are people who may have thyroid problems and other related issues that are biological-based, which is something different than what we're talking about, that is not the issue for... I mean, literally, when I walk around the streets and I, whether it's Florida, New York, or whatever, and I see grossly obese people with grossly parents with grossly obese young people, let's start having an honest adult conversation. Well, that's right, David. And it's not one size fits all. There are medical conditions, there are biological conditions that can predispose someone to being overweight, which absolutely needs to be taken into account. It shouldn't be used as a crutch or an excuse in those medical conditions and need to be taken care of through medications or whatever else it is to treat it. Um, Biologically, it's, it's also nature versus nurture. If you have an overweight child, there is a high likelihood that there, someone in their household is also overweight, likely the adult. And when you look at the demographics of who is overweight versus not, first of all, the United States leads the world in more people, adults and kids, being overweight and obese. So bravo to us. We are leading the world in that. Um, but when you actually break it down to see you know, who's more likely to be obese or not, it is those in lower income houses and those of non-Caucasian families. And some of that can be cultural from the foods that they eat. But when you look at the lower income houses, they are needing to to look at their budget when they're buying food. And unfortunately, when you go to the grocery store, it is the center of the grocery store with all those high sugar, ultra processed foods, which are cheaper than if you stick to the periphery of the store where you find your your healthier produce and organic things. And so when you break down the SNAP program or the food stamps program, every 20 20 cents for every dollar that is spent through food stamps goes towards sodas, sugary snacks, 
and desserts. So my question is, the taxpayer who is funding those food stamps, funding those sugary snacks, sodas, and desserts, the taxpayers are also going to be paying for the consequences and the chronic conditions that are going to come from the poor dentition and the the obesity that ensues from that unhealthy diet. So we're kind of doing it to ourselves. Why hasn't the food stamp program taken a strong, hard look at that and been more restrictive as to what can be purchased with taxpayer dollars? Well, now you're getting into policymaking and the politicians. And, you know, it's again, it's not racism. There are many other factors. I know that the policymakers and some of these left wing politicians uh, like to throw that around. But you're right. And when you go to limit the types of things that should be purchased with our tax dollars, if you want to call it that, or public aid, public assistance, whatever you want to call it, SNAP benefits, SCHIP benefits, etc., suddenly it becomes a you know politically charged issue rather than a medically referenced issue. Enough of this. Look, I, I sat down with... Uh, the head of the American Diabetes Association, they had actually reached out uh, for consulting on a growing problem. This was pre-COVID. The concern, the growth of childhood obesity, not just obesity in the black community at a 44 plus percent rate, Hispanic, you can look up Hispanic obesity rates. There are certain cultural, there are certain food access, certain economic factors. They're all factors, but they're not all the core reasons. And this was years ago. And all of a sudden, that got shut down because if you said, look, your kid's fat, you got to do something about it, suddenly you were the bad person. Well, and that's right. And there has been more education, uh, you know, continuing medical education and so forth on how to not offend and how to use gentle conversations to discuss being overweight in the medical profession than there actually has been about, you know, sounding the alarm on the urgency of what being overweight is doing. And I mean, all you have to really look at is social media and mainstream media with the body positivity movement. First of all, I want, everyone to, I want everyone to be proud of who they are because everyone, you know, it, there's not a mold. You don't all have to be a fitness model to be beautiful. But the problem that we're seeing right now is that there's this bigger is beautiful movement. And all of a sudden we are accepting that the bigger people will just exist in perpetuity and we should we should change our lives around that. And while there will always be a level of people who are overweight and obese, we don't want to accept that. We don't want to portray to our children and to our young adults that that is healthy and that is something they should accept. In fact, we need to hound a little bit more onto the negative health consequences of being bigger. I mean, uh, for example, Lizzo, she's a pop star. You know, a lot of kids love her right now. She has millions, if not billions of followers. And she is known for, you know, being overweight and she speaks about it. She's a huge face for the body positivity movement. But while she talks about how she loves herself and she, she wishes that she saw, quote unquote, bigger people on TV and in print when she was younger, she isn't harping on, you know, the diabetes and the cardiovascular disease and the joint problems and even the cancers that come with living a lifestyle of being overweight or obese. If she really wants to do something for children, for young adults, that is the message. Why doesn't she show people that she is doing what she can to be her best physical, healthy self? You know, it's. She's 34 years old. That's her age. By the time she's 45, if she continues at this rate, 
she will pay a price. The difference, maybe a difference, she's uh, probably still going to be fairly wealthy then, well off, and able to go and get the care that's needed, the emergency care if necessary, to save her own life for the future. At 45, you still got half of your life to go. Other people don't. So she's just as guilty. There's a difference between positivity and this fakery behind, quote, body positivity. You saw it play out in corporations. Amy Hauk, I mentioned her earlier, the CEO of Victoria's Secret and Pink, they went down this path. They damaged people who bought into this fakery. Well, that's right. And listen, not everyone is going to look like a Victoria's Secret model. I mean, I'm five foot two. Uh, My hopes of being a runway model have been squashed my (laughs) entire life. But and so there should be, you know, body positivity movement for all different shapes and sizes. But again, we have to stop normalizing obesity and we need to stop catering to the obese to make sure that they don't feel um, that they're essentially their feelings aren't hurt or they don't feel um, prejudiced against because they're obese. Rather, we need to harp more on what can we do to lessen the rates of obesity in the country because you know, when you start talking about health policy, you know, that's been a huge debate. I mean, I've wrote all about this in my book, Make America Healthy Again. It doesn't matter if you want Medicare for all or if you want 100% privatized health care. If we keep spending $175 billion a year on preventable illness from obesity, you know, we're, we're bankrupting our entire country. Nothing's going to work. We will always forever have a broken health care system because the majority of disease in the United States is preventable, but Americans don't want to do anything to fix it. They want a quick fix. They want a pill. They want a surgery. And the people who suffer the most are those who can't afford it, and the rich will continue to be okay. No, yeah. You know, in your uh, article, I remember you referenced, uh, was it the white supremacist origins of exercise? That was a it was a Time Magazine piece. That's what it was, Time Magazine. I mean, th- th- this stuff is what already, we already have a problem in this country, around the world, but we're focusing on America. And the costs and all the other factors, the effects on productivity for yourself, for your company, for the country overall. And then this garbage gets thrown in by Time Magazine, and they throw in white supremacist origins of exercise. You know what? I'm going to speak as a black man because I was born a black man. I'm going to die a black man. And blacks, when I look over the history There's always obese people in every culture for different reasons, right? Diet, whatever. But when you go from, say, even the 50s and 60s to now, pop culture, I like big butts and I cannot lie, the garbage out there, great funny song by Sir Mix-a-Lot. Fact is, pop culture played into this. Black people started buying this garbage. And I got to tell you, in the movies, now you see the difference between the ones that show the fit versus the unfit. It tells you something. I I mean, at some point, stop. At some point, be blunt and be honest. And if you can't take the adult conversation, I guess go listen to some other show because that's what I'm going to do here. Well, that's absolutely right. And people need to be accountable for their choices and behaviors. And when you present for... Um 
preventable illness, you know, you have diabetes, you have heart disease or something because of being overweight or obese and doctors have been harping on you for years that you need to get it under control, the people paying for that medical care, especially if you're on government assistance or even on the Affordable Care Act exchanges, are other taxpayer dollars who perhaps are doing everything they can to lead their healthiest lives. So when you're suffering from something that is wholly preventable, then perhaps we need to have the conversation as maybe you need to be held accountable for caring for those illnesses. Yeah, unless you want to end up with high blood pressure, diabetes, depression, social issues that come from, let's be honest, society and how it sees things. Uh, Start by taking care of your kids. Take care of yourself along the way if you want to make it a family activity, whatever it is. But the idea that we should start operating on 12-year-olds and 10-year-olds and and 13- and 14-year-olds, which is what uh, the Association of Pediatrics is talking about, I mean, they're they're sticking a Band-Aid that makes money for doctors on a problem that needs to be solved before it gets there. Well, and that's absolutely right. And to be honest, this should be a family effort. Certainly a child in a family should not be singled out for becoming healthier because I'm pretty certain just about every person in this country can lead a healthier life. So it should be the entire family is working towards a goal of healthier living. And that is through having a nutritious diet, including more fruits and vegetables, less processed sugars, and making sure that there's more physical activity. Again, that doesn't necessarily mean a gym membership, but it means walking more than you're sitting. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was a kid, the street light was the clock. Get out of the house, go play, and be home before the lights come on. I live. That's right. And we need to take away, you know, start restricting some of that electronic device. It's not good for their mental health. It's not good for their social health. And I can tell you that they would benefit a lot more if they actually have to go find something else to do to entertain themselves. Yep. There you have it. Okay, uh, thanks for climbing on my soapbox with me. I wanted to get that off (laughs) my chest. (laughs) I know, Nicole. You you put up with me sometimes. You know, I get on my my moods and my moments. All right. And you could be a supermodel. You're super in my books. There you go. And a model of a lady. Thanks, David. All right, my friend. I'll I'll see you soon in the office. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, a radiologist and director of breast imaging at MSK, Memorial Sloan Kettering in Monmouth, New Jersey. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.